This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. Devin Peacock said this morning on The Morning Show, which you can catch between 6 a.m. and 9 a.m. on Global News Radio 980 CFPL, that very rarely do you have good news announcements on Friday nights. It's true. You want to make an announcement that nobody's going to like? Make it on a Friday night because fewer people are paying attention. Or even better, make it on a Sunday. Theo Fleury was traded on a Sunday. He was the fan favorite in Calgary, Alberta. He was traded on a Sunday. Why? People aren't paying attention on Sundays. They're busy doing things. So you announce things like that on a Sunday. But what we heard this past Friday was a little bit different. And since we're in a pandemic, if you've got good news to give or potential good news, don't wait. Please, just let us have it. Even if it's bad news, please don't wait. Just just let us have it. Let's give the news when the news arrives. Well, the news on Friday was that General Motors Canada had reached a tentative agreement with Unifor at Cami and was planning to invest a billion dollars to transform the Cami plant in Ingersoll into a commercial electric vehicle manufacturing plant pending member ratification. The ratification vote was held, and it was announced, as you just heard Scott Monick say, at 11 this morning, 91% in favor. So how is this going over in Ingersoll right now? Well, the first place we are going to stop to find out is the office of the mayor. Please welcome Ingersoll Mayor Ted Comiskey to London Live. Mayor Comiskey, thanks so much for the time today. Oh, no problem, Mike. I hope, uh, first of all, right off the bat, I hope you and your family and every your friends and whatnot are all safe with this uh, COVID situation. I hope you all take care and uh, look after each other. But no, uh, I'll tell you. Uh, David Patterson said, I'm going to make you the most uh, excited uh, mayor in Canada. And he was absolutely right. So when you got this news, when you heard what was happening, give us the reaction. I mean, did your feet leave the floor? <laughs> did your arms go in the air? It was actually, uh, uh, I was at, I was at home at the time. And, and uh, I think I made a path around my dining room table, walking around in circles. Uh, uh, calling people, talking to people, uh, just being over overwhelmed by it. Uh, th- this is something that uh, is is fantastic for a, a town our size, and it doesn't come by easily. It, it, it comes through hard work by the union. Unifor are fantastic folks, hardworking, and certainly their productivity is second to none. And the quality of the equipment, or the, the the cars coming out of of Cami are are superb. And I believe, I be- truly believe. That is why uh, uh, GM has has uh, uh, g- given us uh, this this gift of of uh, manufacturing the EV six hundred van uh, all electric. Uh, it's 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 fantastic. I'm I'm still uh, still overwhelmed and and phenomenally excited about the future of not only Cami but the future of Ingersoll and Ontario and certainly Canada. I'll tell you that. We are still waiting to get. A lot of details for sure. We're talking with Ingersoll Mayor Ted Comiskey about GM Canada investing a billion dollars in that plant. But Mayor Comiskey, what do we know about the impact that this may have on, let's say, jobs in Ingersoll or on the plant itself? What have you heard? 
I haven't heard a lot as far. Uh, I mean, the stability. Okay, let's let's make sure that that's right out there right now. That that is stability. GM is going to keep the workforce pretty stable. I'll tell you that uh, because they're going to be needed. Now uh, we're going to be um, certainly uh, consistently w- working at Cami until uh, uh, the, the new line can be be put in place. Um, and and, and uh, I mean that that's exciting in itself that the stability of the whole thing. As far as the nitty gritties, as far as timing exactly, and uh, and how many more people are going to be required if they are, and uh, what is this going to do with the uh, um, uh, manufacturing of other products that are going to be in demand for the line? That still, uh, uh, to my knowledge, I have not received anything along that except for. Like I said, the, the stability of the CAMI plant. Well, that's a nice word, isn't it? In a, in a pandemic, in a world of unknowns, how often have you been able to say the word stability in the last 10 months? <laughs> that's right. That's right. I mean, this is, this is something that is, is, is going to, uh, uh, let's say, uh, in development uh, over the, the, the short period of time, the next, uh, next uh, couple of years, certainly uh, the van will be hopefully out the end of the, uh, uh, of, the, of the year and start of the next. Uh, but, but, I mean, uh, we're talking down the road, I mean, uh, 12 to 15 years of, of phenomenal security and, and even beyond that because uh, GM's not going to stop now. They're, they're top of the line as far as this innovation goes with the, uh, with the delivery van. That, like I said, the EV600, uh, it's a smart-looking vehicle, and I think it's just the start. So um, I think it's onward and upward. We're talking with Ingersoll Mayor Ted Comiskey about a commitment from GM Canada and a vote that has now been made public, a ratification vote that would see an investment of $1 billion to transform the plant in Ingersoll into a commercial electric vehicle manufacturing plant. And that member ratification came in at 91%. Was there a reason to pump a fist when, when the official vote results came in? <laughs> Well, well, I'll tell you, 91. I mean, that's 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 superb. That is great. That is great. I mean, uh, uh, I mean, uh, what GM has done for for Canada right now, you know, putting in two billion. I mean, sure, with Oshawa and and uh, and and certainly uh, uh, in other areas of St. Catharines. So, I mean, it's it's uh, it's it's fantastic. Um, oh yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it was it was a good time to celebrate. Do you know anything about expansion of the plant or expansion of job numbers, or is it too early to really look at things like that? I believe so. I believe that now I have not been informed on, on anything now. Certainly at GM, because they're so phenomenally organized, I'm sure they have it all laid out. But uh, uh, not uh, that has not been uh, indulged to me in any way, shape, or form on, on what the, the, the plant configuration will be or the, or the number of workers. But like I said, and I emphasize on its stability. Mayor Comiskey, one last thing while we have you. We are in the midst of a pandemic. It's been tough on businesses everywhere. How's Ingersoll doing? Uh, Well, put it this way. We're a small town, and uh, we have a lot of commercial, uh, small commercial outlets. And I believe that it's hitting the small commercial outlet the worst. Um, They may not have as big of a a war chest available to them to call upon uh, to be able to uh, withstand the length of time that the doors are closed. Uh, certainly they are, are there for us. Uh, uh, we, we buy local. The town is really phenomenally supportive of our commercial, but I, I'm, uh, it's tough. It is really, really tough right now. 
and uh, uh, not just the just not just the commercial outlets, but the employees. Correct. Um, I mean, uh, of the restaurants, etc. Don't need the waitresses or the cooks, etc. That are that are really the you know the strong support and base of our community. So I think that that it's tough. Um, I'm hoping that, um, that people will uh, use their brains. I'll say it that way and stay home. Uh, look after themselves so that we can get over over this pandemic as early as possible and and keep everybody healthy and safe uh, and so that we can get back to normality uh, as soon as possible. Mayor Kaminsky, thank you so much for the time today. Please keep yourself and your family and your town safe. We really appreciate the time and congratulations. This is a nice piece of news. Oh, I mean, uh, what a what a nice New Year's uh, uh, to lead off the New Year, uh, 2021. I mean, that, this is exciting for everyone. Take care. Let this be a sign of things to come. All the best. <laughs> you too now. You take care, Mike. A singer soul mayor, Ted Comiskey. So, billion-dollar investment, stability, as the mayor says. Where else can you find stability? Let's get back to the good news locally. Let's get back to the $1 billion from GM Canada that is going to be used to transform the plant in Ingersoll, the Cami plant, to a commercial electric vehicle manufacturing plant. Immediately, it was pending member ratification. Just after 11 this morning, that member ratification came. Please welcome to London Live, Unifor Local 88 President, Joe Graves. Joe, thanks so much for taking some time for us. Hey, no problem, no problem. Can you take I, us back to when you first heard this? We were just talking with Mayor Ted Comiskey of Ingersoll, and he feels that he kind of wove a, almost a, a trench around his dining room table, walking round and round, talking to people all about this once it was announced. How about you? Um, I'm going to say near the end of November and uh, begin first part of December, Mike Van Bokel, who's the plant chair, and myself were brought in with General Motors just on what they were proposing for our plant um, and then we went into what early bargaining the early bargaining was with our entire bargaining committee and we were in there for two weeks we were actually meeting over the christmas period and then two weeks up until yesterday we had a zoom call with close to 1300 members on the zoom call and we went over the entire contract and we took questions for close to four hours we were done around three we started at 10 o'clock and we were done at 3 30 so Everyone had an opportunity to ask a question. It was very interesting how we did it, and we hope everyone was happy. And by the results that we got with the ratification numbers and vote, I believe uh, most members are uh, happy with what we negotiated. 91% voting in favor of it. When you took those questions for four hours, did they come from any main areas? Were there any main questions that were being asked? Um, well, to begin with, uh, the big three was in negotiations last fall. So pattern was met almost in every category when it comes to wages, to vacations, to uh, health care benefits, and a lot of the other things that they would have negotiated. The questions coming across was the uncertainty of a new product, and it's a different product. It's, it's in a commercial product, and it's something new. In, in the description, Jerry Diaz opened the meeting, and he put it very good how he said, he can remember 30 years ago, the Chrysler van plant, they came, they proposed making this van and everyone kind of said, what the heck is this? And now 30 years later, they're still producing those vans down there. So 
you know, hopefully we have kind of the same results that, you know, it is different, but hopefully it's very successful. There's other components of the vehicle that hopefully will come into our plant and will be successful for some time. We're talking right now about what is happening in Ingersoll with Unifor Local 88 President Joe Graves with respect to a new vehicle being produced, but a transformation of the plant, Joe, into a commercial electric vehicle manufacturing plant. What does that mean? Because it's not something where you're just kind of snapping a finger and saying, okay, we make this now, so what has to happen in order to start the lines? Well, we have two body shops. On the west side, we built a brand-new um, body shop. And on the east side, we've shut it down. And it's been sitting, well, not empty, but it's been utilized for spare parts that are shipped off to uh, dealerships. So we I don't know the exact floor space, but the floor space is huge. This vehicle will be built in there at lower numbers up until the time the Equinox no longer is produced. And that. They're talking the early part of 2023 that will build out the Equinox. At that point in time, they're looking at doing just a mass excavation of assembly, and then they'll they'll move the product uh, the production where they can build more into the assembly east side. So a little bit different than just say, here's a new vehicle that we'll be producing, or is it kind of similar? You know, even though it's an oh, electric no, it's vehicle. Uh, there, there's a lot of differences, and one major difference is there's not going to be a moving conveyor line. And the reason for that is the weight of the vehicles with the batteries and the frames. It's a lot larger than our Equinox, so it, it will not be transferred on uh, a moving conveyor. So that that is one of the major differences. The build will be a little slower. Like, we're building an Equinox right now, one per minute, where I don't know exactly we could be building one of these through, you know, I don't know the exact, so I don't want to be quoted on it, but it could be, you know, one every half hour or hour, something like that. Sure. Isn't that wild? Building an Equinox one one every minute. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, We and we've been going strong. Like, we were three shifts and Saturday overtimes for over nine years. Now, unfortunately, the Equinox is moving, um, just like our train did to Mexico, which is a not the best news, but uh, at least we have, you know, a billion-dollar investment coming in. And I'll tell you, this billion-dollar investment is huge for our membership, as you can tell by the numbers that came across on the uh, ratification. But it's also, yeah, I know you are just talking to Ted, it's great for the community. Anything was to happen to this plant, Ingersoll would be des- devastated. Definitely. Yeah. Well, Joe, congratulations. That is good news all around. Anything else you think we need to know in terms of timeline on this? It, well, we're still it's status quo for the next two and a half years still. So, you know, we're still building the Equinox and uh, we're still plugging along with that. But uh, they'll see people, our members, as well as the community will start to see things happening. And uh, I'm just I'm really glad the whole process is over as far as bargaining. It's very stressful on our entire bargaining committee. I'd like to commend them for the great job they did as well. No doubt. Job well done all around. Joe, thanks for the time today. Hey, no problem. Thank you. We'll talk soon. Stay safe. That is Joe Graves, Unifor Local 88 president. So through bargaining, through an announcement from GM Canada, now through a ratification vote, we are going to see an electric vehicle produced in Ingersoll at the Cami plant. And there's a billion dollars to transform that plant. And we'll have to find out a little bit more. Isn't that fascinating where they can make an Equinox in one minute this vehicle will not be on an assembly line 
and it will not be produced as quickly. So you're talking about 30 minutes. So what does that mean in the grand scheme of things? That will be something to dig into in the future. Let's talk about things that maybe we've never used. If you've never used a knife, you don't realize the value of what it can mean to a good steak. If you've never used a fork, you don't realize the value of what it can mean to keeping your hands clean while you eat. If you've never used WhatsApp or Parler, that's not necessarily a bad thing because they aren't the difference between enjoying a good steak or keeping your hands clean while you eat, but they are still a part of our world, and we probably need to learn a little bit more about them. And someone we can go to to help us out is our good friend, Dr. Thomas Cook, Privacy, Ethics, and Internal Threat Assessment Manager at the Center for Advanced Computing, as well as a Social Science and Humanities Research Council of Canada postdoctoral fellow at the Surveillance Studies Center, both at Queen's University. Dr. Cook, how was the weekend? Wonderful. I actually like seeing a little bit of snow on the ground coming into a fresh Monday. I don't know about you guys, but uh, it was a nice one. Thanks for asking. You know what's good about the snow? The snow seems to take away the dampness. It always asks, ah. acts as a, an insulator. I, I don't know the physics behind it, obviously. I'm not smart enough for that. But it, it always makes it, yeah, feel a little bit better. If it's going to be January and it's going to be cold, <laughs> let's deal with a little bit of snow on the ground. Great. You know, I, I bought a snowblower about two weeks ago, and I haven't been able to use it yet. <laughs> I'm actually kind of looking for a little bit of snowfall here, Mike. I'm not going to lie. And we didn't get enough for snow blowing last night, did we? <laughs> no, not quite. It's almost no, gone no. my driveway. <laughs> I didn't even shovel, so yeah, I haven't looked at the driveway for a few hours yet. What I have looked at is the fact that Parlor is back online and that WhatsApp is another thing that's out there that some people use. These are not your typical Facebook or Twitter or Snapchat or you name whatever else is, is the going thing. WhatsApp's been around a while. Parlor, I don't know how long that's been around. But, Dr. Cook, when you look at these particular forms of social media, maybe we start with WhatsApp. What's up with whatsapp <laughs> that's the question isn't it what's up with whatsapp i, I think i use that line in a, a my doctoral dissertation like i wrote a chapter on this this uh, technology and i can tell you that it, it's a complicated one you know this is this is a service that started off um, in a very big way became the world's number one leading instant messaging service and the reason why it was so successful was because it was marketed globally but it was done so in a way that allowed people from one side of the planet to text with the other without using uh, the cell provider. Like it, it's a, you can't just text somebody in Germany from London without having to pay extra texting fees. At least for the last what ten year period leading up to 2018 or so. So WhatsApp allowed people to text directly without using Facebook and without having to pay your service provider. Um, and they became huge because of it. Hundreds of millions of, of users worldwide. And so what's going on now, well, this is complicated, but suffice to say, there are a lot of privacy problems. WhatsApp is owned by Facebook and Zuckerberg in turn. Facebook's been under fire for a long time because of Cambridge Analytica, because of admitting to playing with people's emotions and engineering the way people respond to certain kinds of headlines and the way that they engage with one another and expect information from their communities. Very, very turbulent background with WhatsApp. What we're experiencing now 
as a system that was premised upon encryption and high security. And I mean encryption in the sense that hackers or governments wouldn't be able to read what it is that you're sending to your friend and what you're receiving in turn. Zuckerberg and Facebook have decided they're going to change the privacy policy quite dramatically. And what they're going to do, apparently, is allow businesses, so people who are partnered with Facebook and advertise on the platform, to go directly into your WhatsApp, have a look at your contact list, see your phone number, see your device ID, see your location in real time, uh, look at transaction data and product interaction information, unique uh, identification codes, not just for your device, but for people, so long as that they are interacting with those businesses. So Facebook said over the weekend, you know, we're not actually just harvesting everything that you say and do with your friends, but we are going to harvest everything as soon as you start interacting with companies. And I don't know what that looks like yet. If if companies are going to place advertisements into your text stream as you're communicating with friends in real time, despite being on the other side of the planet. I'm not sure what it means to have businesses interacting with users yet, but what I can tell from this is that any data that they can collect in terms of your interaction with those ads or those businesses is going to be sold. Hmm. Wow. So as, as great as it seems to be, and in life there's always a catch, as great as it seems to be where, yeah, you don't have to use your cell provider, you can text back and mm-hmm. forth, there is still a price to pay, isn't there? Absolutely. And the price to pay is is not necessarily um, a superficial loss to privacy in the sense that a company gets to see your contact list or record your phone number. We have to look at these kinds of data points as entries into the wider world. Here's what I mean by that. If you go to Canadian Tire, uh, let's say (laughs) when it's safe to do so after the lockdown, and you make a, a physical purchase in the store and they generate a receipt, If you give your postal code or your email address or your phone number, there are third-party analytics companies out there that buy that information from Canadian Tire and they sell it to Facebook's clients or they will sell it to Facebook. So what ends up happening is that by virtue of advertisers on WhatsApp collecting your email address and your phone number and your location, they can amalgamate that with the data that they purchased from another analytics company to enable wider profiling. These are, these are pathways, Mike. They're avenues. They're vehicles that allow companies to build larger profiles of who we are as consumers so that they can sell bigger ideas for more money about who we are, where we've been, where we're going, what we're going to buy, how we behave during the pandemic, who we talk to, what doctors we see, whether or not we're eating healthy, whether or not we're exercising. And, <laughs> you know, the list never ends, really. Dr. Thomas Koch joining us, Privacy, Ethics, and Internal Threat Assessment Manager at the Center for Advanced Computing, as well as the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada, postdoctoral fellow at the Surveillance Studies Center. You can find both of those at Queen's University. So as much as we might think, okay, well, they they can get some information from us, as you just outlined, Dr. Cook, you can get information by giving a postal code. Is there anything in using WhatsApp that should be concerning in any way or if you're willing to let people know how you eat and where you go and what you're concerned about and all those sorts of things that don't necessarily relate to you you know and and your personal uh, it's hard to say your personal information it's kind of it is your personal information but you know mm-hmm. what i'm getting at some of the oh, yeah, some of the finer points yeah. um should you be you know leery of whatsapp at all 
One of the greatest challenges that surveillance scholars like myself have is trying to demonstrate matter-of-factly the harms caused by these systems. I can't open up WhatsApp, look at its algorithms, and say, matter-of-factly, that the way you and I text each other on WhatsApp, Mike, not that we do that, (laughs) put the record straight here, um, that content, I can't connect that to a specific profile outcome that hurts my, my life or impedes my privacy. These systems are designed to keep researchers out. We have to infer the harm of these systems by talking to people, by learning about the things that have upset them, by figuring out why they ended up on a no-fly list, by figuring out how marginalized and disenfranchised members of our population end up in situations where they're not allowed to get insurance. And they have no idea why. But we know from one piece of evidence, a small one, from the outside of a system, that the way they used Facebook at a certain time period in their life hurt them. That's how we have to figure these things out. This is why people are leaving these systems on droves. It's not because we can say that if you text about Capitol Hill tonight, you're not going to be allowed in the U.S. next year. We can say there's a probability that if your background, ethnically and religiously, falls under a certain category, there might be a higher propensity for you to not be allowed in. For white people, the chance is a lot lower. But why take the risk? Why not know what it is that people are assuming or being able to claim about who you are without you being able to negotiate that? That's what I think the real harm is here. People are building claims and saying you are somebody that you are not. Why can't you negotiate this? Why can't you not push Zuckerberg and Facebook to actually profile you properly? Well, first of all, the profiling shouldn't be happening. But the fact of the matter is that we can't be involved in the conversation. It's a very, very risky conversation because it's productive of things that are hurting people matter-of-factly. And as scholars continue to scrape these, these problems together, our strong advice to you in the meantime, especially if you're not a white man, is to stay off of these platforms. And this is why we've seen 150 or 200 million people get off WhatsApp this past weekend and, and go over many. something else. That many. Really? Mm-hmm. That is interesting. Yeah, well, you always put this in <laughs> in such easy-to-understand ways for us. Dr. Cook, before we let you go, and this could probably be a conversation unto itself, but we're going to continue to hear a lot about Parler yeah. in the next few days, if not the next few weeks or months. What do we need to know about Parler? What, what is it akin to if we had to say, okay, well, it's like this? <laughs> it's It's like Facebook. And it's like Twitter. It's not like WhatsApp as a communication platform. It's, it's more of a, a proper social media platform. But it's, it's a platform that was designed for radical, extreme right-wing ideological perspective. This was a tool that was marketed to the most controversial Congress people and senators in the U.S. Um, when you sign up for account on Parler, it actually encourages you to follow Ted Cruz for everybody, no matter who you are. Uh, this system is premised upon the belief, the very unsubstantiated belief, that conservatives, right-wing, hardcore conservatism in the U.S., are censored by liberal media. So what we end up having having with, with Parler in January of 2021 and the tail end of 2020 is the coordination of the attack on Capitol Hill. Parler was the platform that coordinated what happened. It also coordinated many of Trump's rallies in the latter part of last year. This is a very, very dangerous platform, and I think part of the reason why they have been pulled, the the platform was matter-of-factly pulled straight off of Amazon Store, uh, Google Store, Apple Store, 
is because the platform is a cesspool for hatred and violence and racism and bigotry and homophobia. It's really not about freedom of expression or free speech. It's more about protecting really radical right-wing perspectives and arguing that without the platform, free speech can't exist in the U.S. as such. Thank you for laying that out for us. Dr. Cook, we'll talk again soon. Please keep safe. And as much as I don't wish a whole dump of snow on us, <laughs> could we have a little bit more so that Dr. Cook could try out the snowblower? Just just for it. We're bound to get it at some point. Nothing that constitutes a storm or bad road conditions. Just a nice little dusting overnight that's enough for Dr. Cook to blow out his driveway. Good luck with that, Dr. Cook. Thank you. As I'm working on my driveway with a snowblower, I will think of all the other controversial things we can discuss about Parlor for next week. But in the meantime, have a great week, London. Thanks very much, Mike. We'll talk to you soon. Uh, we'll look forward to it. That's Dr. Thomas Cook, Privacy, Ethics, and Internal Threat Assessment Manager at the Center for Advanced Computing and a Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada Postdoctoral Fellow at the Surveillance Studies Center at Queen's University. Anybody who cheers for a team that didn't make the playoffs in the NFL will be very quick to remind anyone who is feeling for the Browns today that they made the playoffs. But it, hush, hush, they're the Cleveland Browns. Did your franchise have an owner named Art Modell who in 1995 decided to move the team to Baltimore? Did your favorite franchise use 28 quarterbacks from 1999 to 2018, I know they made the playoffs, that's fine. I know they made it to the divisional round. Again, great, fantastic. They're still the Browns, and to lose in the way that they lost yesterday when you had it, you had it. <sighs> okay, they didn't really have it. They were chasing it. They could have had it. Let's talk more about this game and others from the weekend in the National Football League. From Global News Radio 640 Toronto, please welcome Greg Brady to London Live. Brady, I, I, I thought something good was going to happen for Browns fans at various times yesterday. It wasn't just the end. It wasn't just Richard Higgins diving out to, to put the ball across the goal line. I thought yesterday was a day. Yeah, it was, it was a day. By the way, you're right to call out some of these people. You long-suffering Philadelphia Eagles fans who won the Super, <laughs> who won the Super Bowl three years ago. You long-suffering uh, Indianapolis Colts fans who got to watch Peyton Manning and for like a hot minute Andrew Luck. Okay, so I guess about seven years for uh, for Andrew Luck. But you're right; it's uh, it's been forever and a day. I was a little little boy watching Brian Sipe. I know we're out of our demo, Mike. I, I know we're getting out of our demo when I mentioned Brian Sipe. Sorry about that. But I watched him throw an interception. Uh, in the end zone at Municipal Stadium uh, to the Oakland Raiders when the Raiders went on to beat the Eagles when I'm in third grade in the Super Bowl. So, yeah, it's been a uh, – and all those Bernie Kosar runs where they, uh, they fall short against the John Elway Broncos three years out of four. Best team never to make the Super Bowl uh, were those Browns teams for about a half decade, and you are correct. When Patrick Mahomes goes out of that game, um, it looks pretty wide open. I'll tell you, people forget. They were carving up the Chiefs for saying – uh, why would you? Patrick Mahomes is rusty; hasn't played in three weeks. They didn't even dress him in week seventeen. But you know who threw, threw thirty-three passes in that game against the Chargers <laughs> in a meaningless week seventeen loss? Chad Henney, and that might have been the difference. In all honesty, through two incomplete, well, through one incompletion and one interception, that was more uh, like a punt 
like uh, like we would have been, you know, playing, uh, uh, you know, intramural at uh, at uh, Western University back in 1995. I saw passes worse than that in 1995 when we're playing intramural after a couple of Amstel lights. But nonetheless, he recovered from that, recovered from that. And it's uh, it's a great story. And I- I'm trying to think of the last time we had such will he play, won't he play drama for quarterbacks leading into either a Super Bowl or a conference championship weekend. And and I can't think of when. You have to go all the way back to Brady and Bledsoe for New England at the end of the uh, 01 season when Drew Bledsoe had to come back in after losing his gig, well injured Tom Brady, and take over in the AFC title game and win in Pittsburgh. It might be then. Well, now we have our AFC Championship and NFC Championship set. And Browns fans, hopefully the future continues to be brighter. I don't think you're going to be using 28 quarterbacks between now and 2038. But, well, it remains to be seen. Anything can happen. However, if we look, Greg, at the Bills taking on the Kansas City Chiefs, like you say, a will he or won't he play around Patrick Mahomes. But how about the Bills? People have been pointing to them saying, you know what, if there's a team that's playing better or that has a better chance to win than the Kansas City Chiefs do of repeating, it's it's that Josh Allen guy and his team. How good do you think the Bills really are? No, really, really good, and they're also – Firing, they're playing. I think they're overachieving right now. I think they're playing better than their actual comprised talent, but that doesn't matter. Uh, and oftentimes we see, I, you know, I reference the Eagles. I think we could certainly make the case with how the Eagles crumbled that they got caught in a little bit of a hot zone uh, near the end of that regular season and rolling through the playoffs. In fact, they 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 barely scored any offensive points against the Chicago Bears and made it through. Um, they, you know, it wasn't until the NFC title game against Minnesota. They really got their offense uh, flowing. They barely beat the Saints and they barely beat the Bears. But it's all about the team that, uh, that is, you know, able to, to play great on both sides of the ball. And look at that game plan for Lamar Jackson. I, I, you know, look, I think Lamar Jackson uh, has, you know, tremendous, tremendous talent. Uh, he'll be the quarterback in Baltimore forever and ever while he stays healthy. But they, you know, they realized that, you know, if they were able to limit the lanes in which he could escape running-wise, because he just did whatever he wanted to the weekend before against Tennessee. Uh, The Titans didn't play very well defensively and seemed utterly uh, befuddled as to what to do with the game plan. After the first drive on Saturday night, uh, Buffalo swallowed him up, and it led to a lot of frustration and a lot of third and longs that you can't just scramble your way out of. So, yeah, I, I, I think Buffalo is flying right now. I would have I would have liked them if Mahomes uh, was healthy and is fully healthy, and there's no way he can be quote unquote fully healthy. I'm even I, I'm as worried about the leg as I am the head. I know, and listen, I'm not mocking it. We're all about concussions. We should be. We we weren't there 20 years ago, 25 years ago. We're starting to evolve in terms of sports. But you know what? Like the concussion is something he can move past and get over. If if he's got if he's got a bent ankle and he's hobbling around like he was in the first quarter and a half of that game on Sunday uh, yesterday, I, I'm really concerned that Kansas City can be a presence at all. I'm not saying the, the better quarterback option is Chad Henney, far from it, but Kansas City needs a fully healthy Patrick Mahomes to beat the Bills and the Packers back to back over the next three weeks, or they're not going to repeat. Greg Brady joining us from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. 
If we look to the NFC Championship, how fun is this? Aaron Rodgers against Tom Brady. And I know it's not Tom Brady when he was 27. And I know it's not Aaron Rodgers when he was 27. But these two going head-to-head. We know they're both going to play. We know it's going to be the frozen tundra of Lambeau Field. They don't have their cheesehead fans in, in huge numbers. There are a few of them in the stadium. But they don't have huge numbers. But still, what do you see in the NFC? How, how close can this game be? I'm worried it won't be. Uh, I, I thought about that at halftime yesterday, Mike, thinking, boy, uh, and I think Tampa stepped up their game, certainly defensively, uh, and threw some things at, uh, at Drew Brees. I, I thought Tampa was going to lose yesterday based just on the penalties they were taking. New Orleans had five first downs via penalty, uh, and, a, and a few of those happened on, on third downs uh, when they would have had to punt. So there was a pass interference, a defensive holding. I just didn't think the Saints were very good moving the football, but uh, yeah, I, I just think Green Bay looks looks absolutely too invincible right now. They're healthy. They've got weapons. It's it's impossible to believe that, like you, like you were hinting at, uh, that they haven't been to the Super Bowl in 10 years. I'm at that Super Bowl, Green Bay, Pittsburgh, and Dallas that year. That's 10 seasons ago. And, uh, and, and you're just thinking, well, probably like people thought when Dan Marino made his Super Bowl in 19 January 85, there's just going to be more and more and more of these. And right now, I think you got three names that have been to one Super Bowl, Dan Marino, Aaron Rodgers, and Drew Brees. And Brees is going to end at one Super Bowl gone to as well. And they're the three that stand up, you know, leap off the page as only going once. So I, I, I think Green Bay has this game. And you're right about the quarterback matchup. We, you know, there were a lot of years going into the playoffs. You're like, this will be the year for Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. This is going to happen. Uh, they're both one seeds. One of them is. And, and one of them would get knocked off. Uh, along the way and oftentimes lose a lose a home game in, in the process get surprised get upset so we've had you know it's probably the one epic iconic quarterback matchup and now we're not going to see it in the Super Bowl but we've never even seen it in the playoffs because we got our Montana Marino and we got Montana and Elway and we got Elway and Favre and we got a bunch of those but we really haven't <laughs> we haven't had Brady and Rodgers uh, and, and you can't have a we couldn't have had a Tom Brady Peyton Manning Super Bowl either because they both rose in the AFC so yeah, I, I, you know, Brady's going to come back next year and play. It's a two-year guaranteed $50 million deal. Um, I think he answered some critics, and the defense for Tampa answered some critics with some criticism of them halfway through the season. But I think it's Green Bay's conference to lose. Greg Brady with us from Global News Radio 640 Toronto as we talk some NFL. How shocked are you that we've made it here? I mean, COVID has not been a story in the NFL in the playoffs, really. I mean, here and there, you know, maybe, you know, a coach, uh, Cleveland had to get through some things. But it doesn't seem to be the first thing that everybody's talking about. And that sometimes happens in the NBA or even in the NHL. What is it about the NFL that's allowed them to get here, do you think? Yeah, you're right. There's there's two factors. There's two things I think about when I when you ask me that. One is the fact that the players and and the personnel uh, made it through. Look, uh, 16 games is not trying to play. You know, 58 or 60 or 68 or 72 like the NBA is. Um, you know, the NBA and NHL got this right, uh, and I think we talked about this before um, a few weeks ago about doing sort of that mini-series thing and playing a couple games. The Raptors are doing that twice this week. They've got two games in Tampa against an opponent. Then they're going to Indianapolis, and they'll play the Pacers twice there back-to-back. That only made sense to me. Um, You know, you and I, uh, veterans of some of those long OHL uh, road swings, and if you had to play that, usually out of the conference, you only have to play the team once. But if you had to play them twice, you're better off getting the two games done in two days or two and a half days. 
So they're getting that right, and so it's an issue and a conversation the NFL didn't have to worry about. But the second thing is is the fans being in the stadiums. And and generally speaking, look, they're, they're playing to a uh, captive audience. This is the band that goes back on tour, and no matter how frustrated you are, oh, they didn't play my song, you're happy to see them. So Packers fans were thrilled to see, uh, you know, Green Bay play and, and Bills fans and Chiefs fans. But that, that has been the big thing is they've allowed fans to go outdoor setting, seem to be some distance, and there were a lot of skeptics about the parameters of that. Well, how's everybody going to get in at once? What are the bathrooms going to be like? What are the concessions going to be like? And like the rest of us, they found a way to adjust. And I think we would know because, believe me, the, uh, you know, the skeptics and, and the sky is falling people uh, would, be, would be pointing it out if there were a quote-unquote super spreader event at an NFL game, but you're not hearing that and you haven't heard that. And you didn't hear it in the, uh, in the college season as well with some fans. Look, I, I think, I think there's too, I, I looked at Arrowhead yesterday. I'm like, there's too many fans in there. I don't know what the number is. There were too many fans at Tennessee the week before, but it's something. And you can tell the athletes appreciated that there's some semblance of normalcy instead of just the empty seats and the piped in crowd sounds. So the Super Bowl is going to be fascinating in two weeks, given they're trying to get people in uh, and trying to, you know, uh, allow for parameters. But Tampa, um, and, and this is why they stopped having, you know, inexplicably, they allowed in the first place, they stopped having fans at Raptors games inside. I mean, you must be like me, Mike. You, you hear yesterday the Florida Panthers had some fans at, a, at an NHL game, and, and you must think that's madness like I do. I think that's nuts. Oh, I, I do. I really do, because it's it's just not time yet. It will be time, but it's just not time yet, and that's the thing I, I do struggle to get over. Now, it looked like every normal Florida Panthers crowd. I did want to point that out. <laughs> I think that's worth – I've been to those – I've been to games in Florida and Glendale, um, you know, and there's 5,000 people there, and you got a whole row to yourself, let alone five. So, um, yeah, it, it, it'll it'll get back to that point in time. But, yeah, listen – We've needed this. Um, I know we've talked before about the ability to lose yourself in sports um, and the regular season had, you know, there's some monotony to those Sundays and the weather's better and we're all trying to, you know, maximize our time outside because we knew that it was coming to an end for the most part. Uh, but I've really, really enjoyed the NFL playoffs. I've enjoyed watching, um, you know, the NFL playoffs, uh, all the European soccer, um, you know, the outdoor sports have made me feel really good about where we're going. But look, you know, this Australian Open story is a massive one. Like, that just sounds like horrible conditions for the players to have to quarantine in. So we're, um, you know, we're trying to take a lot of the right steps. Uh, they're not all perfect, but it's been great having the NFL on. And I know we're hoping, uh, we're hoping it's the last year. We don't even know. Maybe there's distance fans in September and October, but not in November and November of next season. We'll see. Greg, been great having you on. Thanks for the time, and we'll talk soon. Got you, man. Thanks, Mike. That's Greg Brady from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. So the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs on one side, Tampa Bay and Green Bay. Oh, who can't turn down an old NFC North matchup? Or it wasn't, it was NFC Central, wasn't it? NFC Central matchup, Green Bay and Tampa Bay. That's coming up, and then a Super Bowl after that. And then, as Greg hints, we'll have to see where we go. You've been listening to the London Live Podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3.